right, hi guys. Thanks for coming to this class. Um, I'm excited. I have to give you a, dis a little bit of a disclaimer. One of my friends was asking me this afternoon, what does precipitous perfusion even mean? <laughs> and they asked us for our titles back in August. And in August, I'm not even thinking about classes yet. And so um, I, was, I came in from the field one day and I was like, ooh, that sounds like a fun title. Um, <laughs> so, but um, precipitous meaning sudden and perfusion meaning um, prolific growth, rapid growth, right? And that's, that's bas the basics um, behind um, this class. But mostly we're just talking about flower farm marketing and how to stand out in the crowd. Um, <clears throat> so I guess by way of introduction, I'm Christina Ford and I have a tiny little farm, uh, flower farm in Leavenworth, Washington. And I grow on about a quarter acre and grow flowers for multiple different markets. And I really, really love it. I love the arranging more than the actual growing, but the two go in hand, hand in hand. So um, it's a very vital part of what I do. So without further ado, let's get started. Um, the day I decided to become a flower farmer, I thought I came up with the most genius, most original business idea ever, but um, because I thought that I'm like, you know, small veggie farms are everywhere, right? And there's no flower farms anywhere. So I could, I could be the one in the crowd. Um, so I thought I was venturing off into uncharted territory, but it didn't take long to pop my bubble because neighbors started coming by and inviting me to come to the local flower co-op, grow up thing. And uh, as it turned out, I was one of about 10 flower farms in about a 40 minute radius from where I live. So there's a lot, and where I live is a very small um, small town. So there's a lot of competition for the same thing um, where I am. And we see this happening across the board. Um, in 2019, the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers announced that they had 1,600 registered members. Fast forward three years later, and they have said that they have 2,500 members. So that's a growth of 900 members. But I want to add that that's after I dropped my membership in 2020. So, you know, <laughs> there's more growth than it even looks like. Um, similarly, in 2018, um, Florette said that she got a record-breaking 3,107 applications for her florette um, flower farming course. And it was a big deal that she had that many applications. Well, the next year she had 4,000 applications. And this year in 2021, she got another record-breaking um, number of 6,464 applications for a flower farming course. So y'all, this is 6,464 new flower farmers this year, um, just starting out. So that's a pretty mind blowing number. If you think about it every year, we're have adding this many. Um, so I had to face the facts. <laughs> no, I did not start in on a super original untested idea. I just joined the latest fad. So, <laughs> um, 
With flower farming becoming more and more popular, though, um, the question that I'm hearing on the street all the time is, will the market become oversaturated? Like, are we going to be able to sell our flowers? And I think the underlying question behind this is that everybody wants to know, like, with all the farms happening all over the place, um, is there a place left in the market for me? And I think the answer to that is yes. And I hope that in this class that we can, we can um, show that. So first I want to jump into a little bit of the floral industry as a whole and then um, talk about how COVID has shaken things up a bit and given us more of an opportunity. Um, and then I want to leave you with a simple roadmap of things that I've learned from my own experience um, that can be helpful in marketing your flower farm, making you stand out in the crowd. So the U.S. florist industry is valued at roughly 10 to 13 billion dollars in the U.S. So that's florists who sell to weddings and funerals and all the different things. Um, compared to the fast food uh, industry, it's not very much, but it is a pretty big number. Um, a whopping 85% of that is international imports. And so um, that leaves American grown flowers a pretty small piece of the pie. 70% of the American grown flowers are produced by massive farms in California. Nothing against California here, but it's, it's the facts. Uh, <laughs> leaving us only with, so we're, we have 15% of American grown flowers being used in the U.S. 10.5% of that 15% is less left to us small flower farmers. So that, you know, looking at the numbers in that kind of order, it kind of makes it seem like a really small number, but when you crunch the numbers, it actually turns out that there's a, a, enough for us to each have a piece of our own pie. So, um, then 2020 just jumped in there and mixed up all the stuff, right? So, I don't know if you guys were following the news like I was um, in early 2020, but do you guys know what this is? It's the massive dumping of flowers. So all of a sudden, grocery stores stopped buying flowers, right? And they restocked their shelves with toilet paper and water. Um, <laughs> and so with grocery stores being the most major buyer of flowers, all of a sudden there was no place for all these, you know, what was it, 85% of all the imports to go to. And so um, the flowers weren't selling and they just started dumping them like crazy, just making huge piles of flowers. And I thought, oh no, this is going to be very, very bad. And it was. Um, <laughs> but it actually opened up opportunities for small growers. Um, so I was reading an article here, and I just want to read a little excerpt from it because I think that they sum it up better than I could ever could. Um, it says, when the pandemic struck, the grocery stores stopped buying flowers. Grocery stores are one of the largest buyers of cut flowers. So when they stopped purchasing, disruption was swift. Then, of course, lockdown. Overnight, hundreds of thousands of weddings were put on hold and events were canceled. So we have demand plummeting, right? Um, this combined with the laws surrounding COVID caused commercial flower farm closures. 
So what they actually did was they went and uprooted all the plants, okay? So all their employees are laid off, their plants are uprooted, these flower farms are shut down. Um, beyond that, not just on the farm level, but in the global supply chain side of things, um, we have air travel that was reduced by 60%. Um, and so all the planes that were coming from Ecuador with the flowers um, were redeployed to other parts of the world. They're not even flying those routes anymore. Um, and so on the state side of things, the transportation system was just as complicated. So getting flowers, say, from California to Ohio, um, there was no truckers because truckers all of a sudden had more compensation to sit on the couch at home than to sit in the truck cab. Um, and so then you have trucking companies who were training people closing down. So you can't train more truckers, and the ones who are already truckers aren't trucking. So you see how one thing is just leading to another? And we're just like having a total collapse right here. Um, let's see. So in all the middle, in the middle of all of that, people suddenly realize they need connection to people, and they're being isolated from other people. And so how can they how can they reach out to someone without actually going and seeing them? Well, they can give them flowers, right? So all of a sudden, we go from this dramatic decline in the market to all of a sudden everybody wants flowers all at once and they need them now and but the problem is is that once you've hit that stop button on a farm when you've ripped out all the plants you can't just hit start and let the cycle keep going okay um it there's a lag time that you have to account for and so um <laughs> supply shortages i guess is what was the result of that. Um, to further complicate things, again, giant companies started buying up farms that were already supplying the grocery stores. So the big suppliers for the grocery store bouquets are now um, in control of these farms. And so these farms can't also provide to wholesalers now. They're just owned by these companies and do one thing. So again, we have another restriction on our um, supply. Um, another thing that happened was that weather was not playing in favor. There was floods and drought and all kinds of things in Ecuador. Um, and then um, when grocery stores started buying again, um, basically the wholesalers just lost the bid. And so they can't keep flowers in the wholesale markets. So this is a lot of, a lot of stuff, but Basically, it boils down to two things. Um, it changed the consumer's mindset of where to get their flowers and how to get their flowers. And it also changed the landscape of dealing with florists. Now, um, on the, on the direct-to-consumer side of things, people have become more aware of small businesses in general, and they want to know where their stuff comes from. Um, so there's the whole know your farmer kind of trend, um, which is great for us because people want to actually have a relationship with their farmer. They want to know where their produce is coming from, how their produce is being grown, all those kinds of things. Um, and this isn't just for flowers. This is for you know farms across the board, but it definitely um, includes the flower farms. 
Um, the other thing is the florist. Um, so when I first got into doing flowers, I wanted to go dire directly to the florist. And so I went and started canvassing florists. And the very first one I went to, she looked at me and she said, you know what? Don't even waste your time on us florists. She's like, we have our set way of doing things. Our system runs great. You're just going to mess it all up and we don't want you around. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and so for a while, I didn't go talk to florists at all. Um, but then I got desperate because I had too many flowers, so I needed another outlet to sell flowers. So I started talking to them again. Um, and the next florist that I talked to, she was all on board, all in support of buying flowers from local farmers. But she said to me, she's like, I can't afford to pay you what I pay the local or the, the wholesaler that I buy from. And there was a lot of things that played into that. Um, but I think the major one that played into her statement to me, um, there was two things. There was bad experiences with flower farmers who had provided subpar quality product to the, her before. On the other hand, there was the convenience factor. You know, she has her automated thing going and a certain amount of flowers in a certain color show up on a certain day at her doorstep. Like, she doesn't have to do anything, okay? Um, and if she goes with me, then she actually has to get in her car and come to my farm and see what I have. Um, which, there's a lot of things that I can do as the farmer to reduce that, um, that level of effort that she's having to put out. Um, but overall, now that we have this crisis of no flowers, she's having to ha rethink things completely because she can't just get flowers from the wholesaler in whatever quantity or whatever color she wants anymore. She has to start thinking in the farmer's mindset of, okay, this is what's available. What can I substitute? What can I mix and match with? Which is exactly what we as farmers are asking florists to think about. Um, and so one of the biggest, as I see it, one of the biggest barriers to reaching the florist is totally crumbling, right? And so that's an, a market that's being opened up to us. Um, let's see. I think that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> um, I guess in summary, just if we ever had an opportunity to get into um, the flower market in a, as a whole, our opportunity is now. Now, I don't think that this, this supply shortage is going to last forever. I think that they're going to sort it out real quick because there's a need, there's a demand. Um, and so they'll come back. But in the meantime, we have this small window of opportunity that local farms can get a hold and get an edge on the market. Um, and I think that the trend will probably continue um, if that's the case. Yes. Yes. So she, what she just said is that they're also having to buy a lot more to get the price that they're paying before. And that is a, a point that I failed to mention is that they are having to pay sky high prices right now. 
Um, it is incredible to me that you would have to pay $7 for a little bunch of flowers, but that's what's happening right now on the wholesale level of the market, not just the direct to the consumer, because we do that to consumers all the time. All right. Um, so I think that all of this is good to give us perspective on what's going on and see how like we actually have an opportunity. But I feel like it's kind of pie in the sky when I think about how it applies to me. Like I need something super practical for, okay, I have six other competitors in, you know, very close pr proximity to me. How do I stand out in a crowded marketplace with my little farm? So, um, we're going to talk about that here. The first thing it, that I think that we need to do is start anyways. Um, talking to many, many wannabe flor uh, flower farmers or starting flower farmers, I find that it's paralyzing to these people so many times to think about how they're going to compete with somebody who's already established. You know what I mean? Um, and they always talk about, um, across the board, I always hear, well, the farmer's market is already closed. It's already saturated. Like, they don't want another flower farmer. Um, so-and-so already has the five main businesses in town, or so-and-so is already doing... And so, this is something that I've had to face myself. I'm definitely not immune to this. Actually, I have to face it about once every season, at least. Um, and that is that I have to start anyways, because I don't know what the opportunities are unless I go knocking on doors, unless I'm actually trying to get into the market. Um, because definitely the market isn't going to come to me. I think what's key here, though, is to make sure that we keep our head out of our neighbor's business and in our own business. Um, I think that's super important. So just remember that God has given you your own set of unique talents and your own circle of contacts that you can work with. And um, you don't need what your neighbor has. You need what God has given you today. Um, and so start anyways. The second thing is to make friends. Um, how many of you have heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know? You heard that? Yeah, I think it applies to business too. And I think a lot of people get squeamish about selling. Um, and I think they get even more squeamish when it comes to selling to friends. Um, because there's this whole like buddy discount thing where like, if I'm friends with you, won't you give me like 50% off or something? No. Um, the reality is, is that when you're starting, you're going to probably start with friends. And, um, friends will probably be the ones who buy from you the most faithfully. And so as an example, I made kind of a list of a few of the, a little bit of a smattering of some of my subscription customers. And when I look at it, this is not by any means all of them, but I have a lot of childhood friends that buy subscriptions from me. Okay. I have a lot of church members that buy subscriptions from me. I have neighbors that have watched me grow up as a kid and now that I'm in a new neighborhood, neighbors that I'm just getting to know, they buy a lot from me. Co-volunteers. I'm not just doing farming. I also have other volunteer things that I do on the side 
Um, and in both of the um, both of the places that I volunteer, both staff and other volunteers buy from me. So it's who you know, right? And then of course coworkers, and not just my own coworkers, but like my dad's coworkers and my sister's coworkers, people who have connections, right? Those are your friends. Um, and those are the people who you can start marketing to. Um, of course, I don't just sell to my friends. I wanna make sure that that's clear. I have people who come to me and buy flowers for the sake of filling a need that they have. And I think that if you just stay within selling to your friends, that your business will grow stagnant really, really quickly. Um, so again, this is just the step one. I guess, in a, in a phase of, of beginning your marketing. And then next would be to build community. So that's an active effort to continually making more friends, right? So um, I wanna just tell you a little story about how I started my business. I did not start glam. <laughs> I'm still not glam, but <laughs> I started really, really humble. Um, I got a really good idea from a girl named Jaylene. She's actually here in Fresno. She has the cutest little flower bicycle and cart. And um, she goes to farmer's markets and events and different things and pops up and people, um, it's like a flower bar and people make their own bouquets. And so when I was thinking about starting a flower farm, I went and met Jaylene and um, she really inspired me to start my own little pop-up thing. So I built a big red wagon and I made it into a flower bar. And so then I had no clue of where to sell my flowers, right? So I did the best thing that I knew how to do and that is I went and walked down Main Street in Wenatchee and stopped at each of the boutiques down the Main Street and just kind of said, hey, I'm trying to start a business. Can I do a pop-up in front of your business? Um, and I think it's noteworthy to mention here that I didn't even have a business card at that point. I had sticky notes and I would write down my number if they were interested. <laughs> so this is like how basic I started, okay? Um, you don't need much to start a business. So I had somebody who invited me to come and do a pop-up for a little event. It was like ladies night out. Um, and so, I went down there and I did my first pop-up. I was so nervous and I sold like two bouquets. <laughs> but that night I met a lady and her name is Misty and she's a photographer in town. And Misty um, is, a very, is very much a community person. And so she bought some of my flowers and um, we talked and right away she started building me into her community thinking about different ways she could use flowers. Well, she's a photographer, so mostly she's working within the wedding industry, right? So um, within the wedding industry, vendors get together a lot and they do what's called collabs, collaborations um, for styled photo shoots. And so you get all the vendors together and you create a wedding. That's, you know, for people who are already married. It's just an example um, <laughs> of what you wanted, what you could create for a potential bride. Um, and so that was just a key way for me to get into the market. That's when I started making connections to other vendors, making connections to their clients, because we swap clients back and forth all the time. Um, so that was a real key thing. And Misty isn't the only person by any means who helped me get into the market there. 
But I'm just giving you this story as an example that it's not necessarily the one-time customer that you're after all the time. Sometimes you're after a connection that will take you somewhere. Um, and I, I think that that's a good il illustration of that. Um, <clears throat> so I have some examples here of ways that you can be looking in your community to build, build a network um, and start meeting people. So first of all is florists. And I, I hope that my little story earlier didn't scare you too bad. I think that you probably will meet some grumpy old florists along the way, probably. Um, but not all of them are like that. And I've actually found that florists can be your greatest ally in business. Um, not just in, you know, sales. I sell a lot to florists, um, but also just on a practical level on how I can improve as the farmer. So just as an example, the things that we live by on our farm when it comes to quality standards, it all comes from conversations that I've had with the florist. So it's a really key person in my life to helping my business grow and helping my skill set grow. So. Um, you definitely want to talk to the florists. And remember, like we already set the stage here. Florists are in trouble right now because they're not getting the flowers that they need in the time that they need. And so right now is your opportunity to go start a conversation. Um, and more likely than not, they'll be open to having the conversation with you now, even if they weren't open to having a conversation earlier. Um, another thing is fundraisers and events. And I think that it might seem a little bit counterintuitive to give away free stuff when you're trying to sell something. Um, and I don't recommend that you do this all the time, but if you do it strategically in the context of building your business, it can be a great strategy. Um, so the caveat to that is that um, you don't just donate your stuff. You do, you have a relationship with this person that they ask you for your stuff and you say, well, yes, but you have to provide me with the publicity in return. And it's not an altruistic thing at all. And so sometimes it can feel a little bit funny, but you have to remember that this is a business and you're growing your business. And so, um, you kind of cr create a symbiotic relationship by participating in fundraisers and events. So and, um, just little examples of what you might be asked to do um, with a fundraiser event is like um, gift cards for a silent auction or supply um, supplies for an activity. So like, for example, one, the last one that I did last year, um, they were doing pumpkin painting for kids for an occupational therapy um, place and they needed pumpkins. I had pumpkins. so. Um, and then also, like, you can do centerpieces, too. So I always leave it up to, you know, the host of the event, how they're going to publicize my business. I don't tell them how to do it, um, but they're usually very eager to make sure that everybody knows who their donors are. Um, and so that can be a great way to make connections. <laughs> Obvious one is farmer's market. Now, where I live, the farmer's market is actually really tiny. Um, and so it's not really worth it business-wise, like profit-wise, for me to be sitting there all day on Thursday every week. 
Um, but I see it as my investment in marketing um, to my community. So even if you have a, a farmer's market that's already populated with, with, um, far, with flower farmers, there's different rules for different farmer's markets and you'll have to check in with your market. Um, but you can still show up, you know, granted that it's not a rule that you can't um, if there's other people who are selling flowers there already. But you can still show up even if there's somebody already there and still show your face and still make friends and connections. Um, so that's how I view farmer's market. It's a way of making connections. It's not necessarily a revenue source for me. Um, I kind of touched on this one already, but photo shoots, um, like I said, the vendors get together, make an event. You can host one yourself. Um, it can be a little intimidating to do that. Um, but if you are on social media and you have a general idea of who the vendors are in your area, there's nothing saying that you can't reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I want to do a style shoot. I need to build my portfolio. I need to get out in the community and show my face a little. Do you want to do it too? And so I've done it that way. I've, I've hosted photo shoots. Um, but more often than not, if you're in a network of people, um, then they'll be asking you. And I forgot to mention earlier, um, there's groups called, um, one of the groups I know of is called the Rising Tide Society. Um, there's other small groups of entrepreneurs and small business owners. And take advantage of those because that's where you're going to meet these other vendors um, and make those kind of connections. And then, of course, social media. Um, there's there can be a lot of strategy to using social media to market your farm, using local hashtags, tagging local people, um, interacting with your local people, following all the local people, um, local businesses. I mean, <laughs> you want to follow everybody in your area. <laughs> um, but yeah, social media can very much be a tool that you can use. And then, of course, boots on the ground. There's nothing that replaces getting out there and talking to people. Um, and so as my business has grown, I've tried different things. Um, and the most effective thing is always the boots on the ground. So taking my business card and going to different businesses and saying, hey, here I am. Here's what I do. I think I can help you with a problem you have. Um, so just examples of where to start. That can be the biggest question in a lot of people's minds is who do I start marketing to? Now, I'm talking in the context of subscriptions or like a CSA model. Um, real estate agents are really nice people, guys. <laughs> I really like real estate agents. And um, something that's, that's noteworthy for you to think about is that real estate agents always have a housewarming gift for their clients when they close a sale. And so can you get in with a real estate agent and provide their housewarming gifts? Um, that is something that I've done quite a lot. I actually sell more to real estate agents than anybody else, I think. And I think most of the time they just take the flowers home to their families, but 
a lot of times they also use it for housewarming gifts. So um, another example would be Edward Jones um, Investments. That's another place where I have sold flowers. And I just bring this one up because um, it's actually a church member that connected me um, to my first subscription. He owned an a agency. And he told me, he said, in these kinds of businesses, these financial investment businesses, there's a budget set aside for thanking customers. And so these people who run these businesses are constantly looking for a way to say thank you to their customer in a meaningful way for investing their livelihoods basically with them. Um, and so it's a really important thing for them. And so that's where we can step in and be like, hey, we can provide you with a bouquet once a week. We'll drive it right to your place and you can take it to your customer. So that has worked out really well. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> okay, the next thing is, is that you have to solve a problem for people. You can't just have nice stuff, guys. People aren't going to buy stuff because they feel, so well, okay, they might buy stuff for you, from you because they feel sorry for you, but you don't want them to buy stuff because they feel sorry for you, okay? You want them to buy stuff because they have a real need that you're actually fulfilling for them. And I think that it can be hard for us sometimes as artists or florists or whatever to really feel like we have something that people absolutely need. Like it can be, it can be easy to see how like, you know, um, somebody selling socks is selling something that's really important to people. Like everybody wears socks. Everybody needs socks. And so therefore, if you become a sock producer, you're going to sell socks, right? Whereas when you're, when you're dealing with flowers, not everybody needs flowers but you still have to identify the problem that you solve and you still have to use it in all your marketing speak and you have to use it and let people know what their problem is that you're solving because they're not necessarily going to clue into it themselves, okay? So, um, <clears throat> let us look at a couple of the ways that you can solve problems for people. So, everyday flowers. Um, there are people out there who actually buy flowers for their house because they like flowers, okay? Um, there's one lady, <laughs> the girls and I call her our millionaire. Uh, <laughs> she, she is a business owner and she does well with her business, I'll just say that. Um, but she comes to farmer's market every week and if I'm not careful, she'll clear me out. And she literally just buys flowers for her house, okay? So... She has this problem. That is that she wants flowers, but she doesn't want half-dead flowers or overpriced flowers or flowers from a big box store. She wants flowers that are unique, that are elegant, customized to her desire, her taste, that have sentimental value or that have a garden touch to them or something that tells a story. You know, for her, I think that she is one of those people who wants to have a friend connected with her flowers, okay? So this is her problem. And this is a problem that I can solve for her. I can make a customized bouquet for her. I can give her something that's very unique. 
I can give her something that has the garden touch and feel to it, not, you know, something that I call it confetti flowers that come from a big box store and they're dyed and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so this is a problem that I can solve for her um, as an everyday flower farmer florist. Okay, does that make sense? And then there's people who want to give a gift, okay? And a person who gives a gift might have a different problem. Maybe their, um, maybe their problem looks a little bit like um, their love language is gift giving, okay? So giving gifts is really important to them. And they don't want to just give any gift. They want to give a gift that's meaningful, a gift that shows that it has time and thought and love and effort put into it. They want something that's one of, one of a kind that you can't find just anywhere else. I can feel that need for them. I can feel all those things for them. And so I can solve their problem. And then we already have talked about flowers, so I'm going to beat this dead horse, but um, they need flowers right now. Um, they are dealing with a flower shortage, and so they need me to be able to step in and fill the gap, okay? So that's a problem that I can solve for them. Another way that I can solve a problem for florists, um, even if they weren't having a flower shortage right now, is that there's certain varieties of flowers that are poor shippers, okay? So these are flowers that if they get them from a local farm, they're in way better condition than if they buy them from the wholesaler. I remember the first time I did a wedding with like a real florist. Um, I was really shocked and a little bit embarrassed about the flowers that we were putting out. Now, the florist had done an incredible job. It was gorgeous. We were doing a super high-end wedding, um, so there was a lot of money involved. But the flowers that we were putting out there were like wilted and half dead, okay? Like literally the day after the event, they were like non-existent anymore. Um, and I was not used to that coming from a farm where I grow them and cut them and they can last for two weeks on the table. Usually I set the expectation for people that it's only going to last a week, but most of my customers come back and say that it lasts up to two weeks. Um, so um, poor shippers are things like dahlias, lisianthus, freesia, um, zinnias even, if they're interested in zinnias. Some florists are really into zinnias and some are not. The thing with zinnias are they're a hardy flower, but they break super easily. So it doesn't make it good for shipping. They're also not super good for storing in coolers. So again, not super good for shipping. Um, so in like dahlias, they'll just turn to mush really easily. Um, so these are things that you can keep your eye on and maybe you want to go into monocropping and just supply the shortage of, you know, things that are are hard to ship. Okay, and then we have point five, which is specialize. And I already started talking about monocropping, um, but this is another way that's huge when you want to stand out in a crowd, okay? Um, just highly specialize. If all your neighbors, you know, the six other people who are around you who are also flower farmers are growing, generic stuff and doing the generic farmer's market thing, um, if you highly specialize, you're going to have an easier time standing out in the crowd than if you just do the generic flowers and the generic farmer's market things like all the rest of us. And I learned this kind of the hard way. Um, 
there's a lady who literally, she lives a mile from my house and she also is a flower farmer. And when she started her flower farm, she was also working a full-time job. Um, and so consequently, she didn't have the amount of time that I have to invest in, um, you know, being out in the field. And so while I was out there busy cranking out the annuals every year, she was over at her house planting 50 peonies every year. And the result of that is kind of a little bit like the tortoise and the hare. <laughs> Okay, so now we're at year four, we're going into year four, and I'm still out there cranking out annuals every year, and it's just as much work for me every year to get started and get, keep the momentum going. Um, meanwhile, she has a huge patch of peonies, and guess who goes running to her every time she needs peonies? It's me. So um, <laughs> she wins, right? I mean, we both win. Everybody wins in business. There's room for all of us. But in this case, she wins um, because she decided to invest slowly and do one crop that's specialty and it's a very high price item. Peonies right now, um, I think, well, I don't remember what they were last spring, but the average cost of a peony stem is $3 for one peony. Um, so you can return an investment quite quickly on that. Um, so monocropping is a really good way to go. Honestly, if I could do it all over again, I would monocrop, hands down, I would monocrop. So I would either go into peonies probably, or roses, or dahlias. Think about the specialty things that are high dollar items that everybody wants. And it shortens your season too if you want to do that. Um, okay, season extension is another way to stand out in a crowd. Um, if you have greenhouses, this can be an amazing way to get ahead of your competition. Um, let, your, let your neighbors burn themselves out July through September, and you can take the shoulder season, do way better than them. Um, the, the truth is, is that the highest time that customers are buying flowers, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, um, and early spring. Everybody's excited about flowers during this. I recently read, it's like in the US, we spend like $2 billion on flowers for Valentine's Day and Mother's Day is just barely behind that. So $4 billion just on those two holidays. Like if you can somehow figure out how to get your flowers growing for those, you know, especially Mother's Day, like you can tap into a very good marketplace. Um, so if you can do winter crops, if you can do spring crops, you'll do great. Um, another way to do season extension that's not so obvious is doing things that are related to flowers but aren't actually flowers. So for me, that's pumpkins. Um, and I bring in a lot of revenue by doing pumpkins. But people think of going to the flower farm for pumpkins because they think house decorations, right? Um, so pumpkins are a great way um, to lean into that. Corn stalks also, fall decorations, people want corn stalks. So if you're already growing corn along with your veggies, like you can, you can sell, the, sell the stalks. Um, another thing for like going into fall and Christmas, you can do wreaths, so Christmas wreaths. And wreath making classes have become the rage lately. 
Um, the first year I did it, I was the only one who did it. And then the second year I did it, there was like three other people who did it and it wasn't so worth it for me. But I figured out that not everybody is gonna come to a class. <clears throat> so if you really like making wreaths, knock yourself out and make wreaths. Um, they're, they're actually a pretty high dollar item. And so you can make a lot of money making wreaths. And you can forage. I always make my wreaths out of foraged items or dried items, like the dried flowers. Um, you can also make wreath making kits and sell wreath making kits. Um, that takes the work out of it. You don't have to teach the class and you don't have to assemble the wreath. Um, but people still like to do that too. Okay, um, dried flowers. I've, I think a lot of people overlook this one, but I've seen some really, really successful flower farms that only grow dried flower crops. So you're thinking about straw flower, you're thinking about celosia, you're thinking about um, status, all these things that you can dry and use later, either in wreaths or um, dried arrangements, different things like that. So that's another way you can specialize. Weddings, I think, is a very obvious one. Are we already out of time? Almost out of time? Okay. Weddings are a super obvious one. I think everybody thinks about being a wedding florist um, if they're in the flower farming industry at some point. Um, and you can make a lot of money with that. My one caution to you is, is that if you're going to be a flower farmer and you're going to do weddings, just do weddings um, if you want to make money on it. I, and this is just based on personal experience. I have found that if you're doing farmer's market and subscriptions, and grocery store bouquets and all these other things and then you try to throw a wedding on top of that it's too much and you end up just like stretching yourself too thin um, and can't do as good of job for them or don't have enough supply so it, it just gets tricky logistically if you want to do weddings you can make a lot of money um, but focus on weddings the other one that, like, everybody wants to do weddings, but nobody wants to do funerals. Um, but this is another way you can specialize. Um, and I think that as far as networking goes, the, one of the places you can start is by going to funeral homes and making networking um, with the owners of the funeral homes and that kind of thing. You can actually make a lot of money doing sympathy bouquets and casket sprays and that kind of thing. Um, so you can specialize and be a funeral florist if you'd like to. Um, E-commerce. This one has a lot more logistics in it, but if you're good at logistics, it'll, it'll be a great challenge for you. Um, this is actually the goal for my farm, um, and I have to say that we have not figured it out yet, <laughs> um, but we're still working on it. I think that the... Um, the market is a lot wider, right? It doesn't ma matter where you live. If you can ship a bouquet, then, you know, you can, you can sell to anybody in the States. Um, so if you're, if you're up for a challenge, try to do e-commerce. That, that is fun. I can talk to you about that too if you want suggestions on varieties for that. And then another one is hotels. Um, so early on when I started with Farmer's Market, I'm, the vendor next to me said, hey, there's a hotel in town who's been trying to get me to grow her flowers. And so he gave me her name, he gave me her phone number, and um, I started talking to her. She wants wholesale flowers. So I show up at the hotel with buckets of flowers and I just take them into the cooler and she arranges them herself. That's one way to do it with 
um, hotels. Another way to market to hotels is to just do hotels. Um, and so then you, you build a contract with them and you do installations in their lobbies, you do um, the arrangements in, you know like where the elevators are, there's a lot of times a table there and um, there's a lot of times flowers of some sort there. That's a hotel florist that's doing that. Um, and then of course anybody who orders a bouquet, like they're on a special getaway or whatever. My favorite um, client from last year, there's this guy who called me up and he's like, do you have roses? And I was like, yeah, I have roses. He's like, can I buy rose petals from you? I was like, well, I don't usually sell rose petals, but sure. Um, and he was like, I was like, how many rose petals do you want? He's like, I don't know, maybe a romantic amount of rose petals? <laughs> and I was like, what's a romantic amount of rose petals? I figured it out, it's two gallon bags. Um, <laughs> that's my version of it, anyway. Um, so I was supposed to take the rose petals and drop them off. I told him, I was like, I don't usually do this, so I need you to buy a bouquet, actually, and then I'll add the rose petals on. That's how I dealt with it. But I was supposed to just drop them off. And uh, he... <laughs> I got to the desk and the lady was like, I don't know what to do. You seem to be more artistic than I am. She's like, how about you go do the deed? So I got to go up in their hotel room and throw rose petals everywhere. It was so fun. We were laughing our heads off, but it was so fun. Anyway, hotels can be a very, very profitable thing. If you're interested in doing hotels, um, there's a lady. Um, her Instagram handle is um, the hotel florist. And she has a course um, that teaches you exactly what you need to get a contract with a hotel, to maintain a contract with a hotel. And then she also teaches some of the um, floristry behind doing hotels because it can be a lot different than doing weddings and that kind of thing. <clears throat> okay. Um, I think that's all we have time for. I guess in conclusion, I just want to... Um, wrap back around to um, hitting our five points again. That's start anyways. It doesn't matter what your neighbors are doing. It doesn't matter how many other flower farms there are that are out there. Um, there's room in the market for you too. Make friends and start selling with your friends and then build the community around you and just keep building it, widen your reach as you go. It takes time, um, but it's so worth it. Um, and then solve a specific problem for your customers. This is a huge key to being successful as a flower farmer. And then specialize. And I think that if you do those things, you'll find that you have a good start. Um, I don't think that it's all the ingredients to being a flower farmer, but it's a good start for getting into the market. So I'm going to take like two minutes of questions and then we need to get on to our next class. That's a really good question. So her question is, how did I pitch flowers to my friend? How did I get my friends interested? You know, friendship is is a really easy way to market. I'm not in their face saying, hey, I have flowers. You want flowers? Hey, you're doing a birthday party. I want you to get my flowers. You know, like, I don't do that at all. But if you're a friend, you're interested in what your friends are doing, right? And so it's just a natural thing that if you let your friends know what you're doing, like, hey, I'm starting a flower farm, you know, um, then they're watching you. And if they ever need flowers, 
their thing in the top of their head is, oh, I know somebody who, who does flowers, right? I know who to ask. And they come to you automatically. Um, so I think it's just a matter of, you know, in conversation with your friends, like you always do, letting them know what you're doing. I'm doing a flower farm. Um, and then letting the friendship naturally. I mean, if you want to pitch to them and just, you know, put a thing out there on your Facebook or whatever of, hey guys, I'm trying to sell flowers. Like if you're, any of you are interested, um, I have flowers. It's, it's really simple. Um, friendship. Yeah. I am not a certified organic farmer, um, but I use organic practices. Um, there are pests that I do have to deal with. Every location, the pests that you deal with are different. For me, the biggest thing is aphids, and um, I had to deal with tarnished plant bug in my dahlias my first year, but I didn't have to um, deal with that once we moved. Um, there's a few others that I have to deal with. But um, soap works really well on flowers. So mixing just, um, I have basic H soap. Um, you mix it with water and you spray it on the bugs and it kills them. Um, there's some other natural things that you can do. Yeah, no. I've had a neighbor uh, before in my town that, that grows flowers and sells them. She drives the flowers to the Bay Area yeah well depending on where you are the the bug pressure will be different right um, but I think that the the biggest thing is is if you have healthy soil you're gonna have healthy plants if you have healthy plants they're not going to be able to take down um, your plants as quickly or as easily so starting with making sure you have healthy soil and healthy plants is a really good way to fight bugs. Yeah. That's a really good question for another day. <laughs> the, the short answer is there is the USDA, um, oh man, it's the Boston list. If you Google USDA Boston flower prices, you will get the real time prices of what things are going on for the wholesale market. Um, and so you can use that as a guideline. Um, the ASCFG also has, if you get a membership, it's the Association of Cut uh, Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Um, they have a pricey list that is a really good guide. I used that. It was like my best friend my first year. Definitely worth getting the membership for. Um, and then once I had my own prices set, I, um, you know, went from there. I didn't need the list anymore. I, I hesitate to say what my prices are when people ask me. People ask me all the time, what do you think my bouquet is worth? And I, I always sidestep it because it's different for everybody. The amount of money you're putting into your farm and all that kind of thing plays into it. So, yeah. His question is, how do you determine the size of the bouquet, whether it's individual or hotel or whatever? Um, there's no easy answer for that. <laughs> it's a gut feeling. No. Uh, <laughs> so I have, for grocery stores, 
Um, grocery stores typically are 15 to 20 stems in a bouquet. So that makes it pretty easy to know, like in general, like how big to make a grocery store bouquet. Um, I often price my bouquets based on the per stem thing. So if you know how much your flowers are worth, then you just take that and you multiply it by however many flowers and your, you know, work, your labor costs and that kind of thing. Um, and so I don't think that there's necessarily a set way, but the 15 to 20 stems is a good, like, baseline starter. Um, so, yes. Okay, I think we need to get um, on to the next class. We're going to talk about color theory if you're staying with me, but I'll give you just a couple minutes um, to have a break, and I need to get some water, and then we'll get started again. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.